Ag State of Mind, episode 28. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and we are a member of the Global Ag Network. Today on the show, we have Megan Shasau. Megan is part of the Upper Midwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center, or they like to and we like to too, to shorten that to UMASH. It's a little bit easier to say. Um, they're a multidisciplinary collaboration of five leading research and healthcare institutions. Um, they're based out of Minnesota, but they uh, do work in Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa, and Northern and Northern Missouri and Illinois. So uh, they're doing some really great work and, you know, bringing together so many, um, like I said, multidisciplinary approach, uh, School of Public Health at uh, University of Minnesota, School of Veterinary Medicine, Minnesota Department of uh, Mental Health, uh, National Farm Medicine Center, and some others. And they're just, it's a really cool and I feel like a unique institution, new, unique center. Um, so it's uh, it's really cool. And I, I like new ways of people doing things and try not everyone trying to treat it the same way. So uh, UMASH is doing a really wonderful job. And talking to Megan today, Megan was a pleasure to talk to. She is like me, grew up on a beef operation. Um, and then she went and kind of went to work in healthcare. And I think she's like me, trying to get back to her roots and trying to serve people who, who grew up like she did and serving the agriculture community. And she's doing a really great job working in public health, um, trying to bridge that gap, much like we're doing here on this podcast. It's a, it's a really, really cool thing that she's doing. But uh, before we get started, again, we are in the midst of this pandemic. Lots of people quarantined, lots of people at home. So uh, please go check out anybody who you may think may be in need of assistance, because even if they're not, they would love to hear from you. I know there's people I need to contact more of, and I for for us, really not getting to see my parents and Carrie's parents is has been rough on our family and 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 the boys especially, and it's uh it's been really tough. So uh, please go check on the people that you care about. And uh, also on another note, much less serious note, again, please go leave us a review. Um, we'd love to hear any any feedback that you all may have on the podcast and on the work we're doing. We uh, we really appreciate when you guys can uh, let us know how we're doing and. A review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it may be is the best way to reach us. So uh, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this community. We we really appreciate everybody out there. So uh, here we go with my interview with Megan Shasile of UMASH. All right, Megan, welcome to the show today. How are you? I am good, Jason. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate the time uh, you've taken out of your schedule to come on here and record a conversation with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, I feel like I start the podcast out the same way every time, but I feel like it to, gives a real sort of perspective and where you're coming from if I get your background and, you know, what, how you grew up and how you got to the position you are now. And we'll go from there. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think my background really forms um, a lot of the ways I approach 
the world now. So I identify as a grown-up farm kid. I grew up on a beef operation in Southeast Minnesota. So we raised, um, they still raise Black Angus and Hereford cattle and then do row cropping as well. So my dad and my brother are still farming and my grandparents are on the farm as well. And I went to the University of Minnesota twice. So for my undergrad, I did plant biology, worked in agronomy for a while, and then did my master's in public policy. And now my current position is in agricultural occupational health. So all my work focuses on keeping farmers, farm workers, and their families safe and healthy on the farm. And that is at the Upper Midwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center, which is based out of the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. So pretty, pretty thorough Minnesota girl with kind of a variety of ag background that that's brought me here today. So it's the the acronym is UMASH, is that correct? That's correct. And is it a like a subsidy of the of the university or is it separate? Good question. It's a it's, so we're a center, so it's kind of a unique relationship. So we are one of eleven U.S. ag centers. We are funded federally by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health (NIOSH). Okay. Uh, one of many acronyms I'll use, but so we are physically housed out of the University of Minnesota. We are made up in part by the university, um, but we're also made up of the Minnesota Department of Health and the National Farm Medicine Center, and which is in Wisconsin, along with Migrant Clinicians Network. So um, there are five organizations that make up UMASH, which is sort of difficult to keep track of. But yes, we're housed at the at the University of Minnesota. Okay, so I think I think it's safe to say that you're the first. Would you say a farmer occupational therapist? Is that a is that a fair way to describe your 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 job title or is it a little more? Yeah. I'm not an occupational therapist. So, you know, I didn't go to OT school. Okay. Uh, But yeah, we, so a lot of my work is in the research and outreach portions of our center programming. So, um, you know, a big chunk of our budget goes into research projects and a, a lot of what I do is help translate research into practice. So, um, taking those research findings and helping, you know, make agriculture a safer occupation. So whether that's the health or the behaviors of people working on the farm. Okay. Very interesting stuff. And I think the thing that for me that stands out, and maybe that's, this goes back to my, my background in healthcare is that um, you are through the University of Public Health or the the School of Public Health. And I find that is very um, unique because I have not, most of the people I've talked to in this kind of your capacity are extension agents. Um, They're working with the College of Agriculture directly. They come at things um, from a more, I guess, farmer agriculture point of view, which you have, but I don't think your position necessarily has that. Um, and I, th- I find that very interesting and maybe a little bit refreshing that somebody who is involved as a health in healthcare, public health is recognized. So somebody outside an institute outside of agriculture is recognizing this as a public health concern. And that makes, that is incredibly refreshing to me because I feel like it's, there's people outside of this little world that we live in that care and that recognize that there's a problem going on and that need, that needs solutions. 
Yeah, absolutely. It It is, I think, a really unique and nice setup just because the way that we approach issues is very different. So we work closely with extension. I would say the extension model is very much, they have a lot of direct farmer contact and they do a lot more right. in the realm of, you know, training and train the trainer type models. But I, you know, our sort of guiding principles are called One Health. Um, and so what that means is when we, you know, address problems, we consider the health of the people. So farmers, farm workers, farm family members, um, we consider the health of the planet, so environmental impacts, and we also consider the health of the animals in the operation. And it's just, it just makes our approach really holistic, which is, you know, very much a public health strategy. But I think what I really like about public health and the way that public health approaches, um, you know, any challenges or issues, especially as it relates to health, is that it's very prevention focused. And you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of people, we would like to out work ourselves out of a job. We would, you know, like to, you know, improve health and safety outcomes to a point where, you know, we wouldn't have to exist. But, um, you know, agriculture is an occupation is a dangerous one. There's a lot of hazards and risks that are just inherent. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a great way to approach problems from the prevention side of things rather than, you know, treating something after it's already an issue. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I like that you use the word holistic because that's a word I'm finding myself use more and more, not in, in regards to health, in regards to agriculture um, by itself. Um, and I, I actually, I made a post about this today and where I talk about um, the, our health as, because somebody, somebody once talked to me about um, the difference in physical and mental health. And to me, I don't feel like they are separate or they should be separate. I feel like we should take, I don't feel like we should talk about it as physical health or mental health. We should just talk about it as health being a holistic term that is all encompassing. And we talked before we started recording about you are a runner, you take care of your physical body, but if you're, but just because you're taking care of your physical body doesn't mean that it doesn't affect your mental well-being as well. And I feel like that is something that is oftentimes lost. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think you use the word that I, you know, really do prefer is just well-being in general. Mm -hmm. So we oftentimes do just talk about, so our, our holistic word, if you will, is well-being. So I think that really does account for, you know, your, your physical and your mental health. And I agree. I really think you can't, um, you can't really tease them apart. It's difficult. And certainly from, you know, maybe from like a healthcare standpoint, you may treat one or the other. Um, but, you know, in public health, we oftentimes talk about, you know, it's really hard to get at like causality and I won't get too in the weeds on that, but, um, you know, any one thing you do for your physical or your mental health is going to affect the others. And, um, yeah, I think running is a great example for that. You know, I, I think you might echo as a runner that, you know, when I'm running, I'm, I'm just a nicer human. I'm more patient, like I sleep better. I'm nicer to work with. And, you know, most people would think about that as a physical health thing. But, um, for me, it's as much, if not more of a 
like holistic well-being. No, I totally agree. And I can tell you from from my personal experience and I and I in the same post I referenced earlier I talked about how probably the number one thing I did that helps me with my with my anxiety and with my stress is I get physically active and there are t- and I don't want to I don't want to confuse that with saying that um, farm job is not physically active in itself because it is, but it also can't be. It can also, it's also a lot of riding around in the tractor too. So do you guys, do you guys encourage physical exercise among these farmers? And if you do, how is that received? Yeah, I, we, we do. And oftentimes it's, you know, for, um, you know, specific reasons, but in general, um, you know, so my, my personal case study is almost always my dad. So he's a, mm-hmm. he's a cattle farmer. So sure. I think when it, depending on the kind of operation you are, you get more or less, um, physical exercise. Um, and that's not a shot on any kind of farming. It just sort of is. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Agreed. Anybody's job. Um, but yeah, I mean, depending on what you're doing, it's still important to, you know, either get, you know, low impact cardio or strength training or, you know, I'm not really trained in the medical field per se, Sure. but for things like we talk about whole body vibration often, which is basically like if you're riding around in a tractor all day, it vibrates your body to the extent that when you get out, you should actually, you know, take a break before doing heavy lifting because that can result in like musculoskeletal issues and back pain and things like that. So, you know, we do, it's, it's really important to be balanced. And while a lot of farmers are pretty active, you know, I still see and hear about a lot of farmers finding some activity um, that really supplements it. You know, you see a lot of research too, that doing group things is for more beneficial for like mental renewal than doing a solo sport, if you will. So like doing. So like playing basketball or something like like that. Okay. Or like running with a person as opposed to by yourself. Right. Because even, even then, even if you are being physically active, then you're still, there's still that, if you're by yourself, there's still that um, isolation. Whereas in a, like a group, uh, a group fitness type setting, then there is that interaction that is, you're not only getting your body physically, um, moving, but also you're kind of turning the wheels mentally and maybe taking your mind off of some things that aren't, that you shouldn't be thinking of. And, you know, it's, I think it's a really, there's a lot of complex, a lot of layers to this that, I mean, I'm finding myself as we're having this conversation, like digging through this, which is, which is really interesting. And I think it is refreshing to know that there are so many possible solutions and so many, and it's not a one size fits all model. There are different things that can be tweaked and um, different things, different people can do because we're all different people and we all deal with things differently. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a really important thing to to bring home is that it's not a one size fits all model. Yeah, it's really not. And, you know, from a, a professional level, a lot of the work that we've done at UMASH has been really focused on some of these, you know, sort of holistic um, community-based approaches. So it's, 
accounting for the social aspects. It's accounting for the, you know, the fact that you do still need access to healthcare. You know, you, there are plenty of times, you know, when you know, like runners tend to be like, oh, running is my therapy. And it's kind of a funny, you know, aphorism, but mm -hmm. it, it isn't to say it is not, you know, it does not supplement when you actually do need, you know, some kind of intervention. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great point that it, it can be. And a lot of times it is a great stress relief or it's a great thing that you can do to supplement with it, but it does not take the, take the place of actual real help. Um, I hope that, I hope that I made that clear in how I, I presented that, but I think, but, um, I, I think you did. I, I always just, I always try to make sure to really make a point of that because um, just in the, even in the running community, it's, it's, and I'm guilty of it, but um, you know, it can be a sort of a funny thing to say, but um, you know, I, I try not to discount the fact that, you know, medical interventions are necessary and, you know, nothing to be ashamed of and are, shouldn't be overlooked. No, I, I 100% agree that that and somebody I, I keep referencing previous conversations, but that's something somebody asked me about earlier. Um, and part of breaking that stigma is to normalize and make it make it OK that sometimes medical intervention is necessary, whether that be in the form of cognitive behavioral therapy, whether that be in the form of medication, because we don't fault somebody for taking their blood pressure medicine if their blood pressure is high, or we don't fault somebody for taking their insulin if they have diabetes. But so why should we treat it any differently when it's something taking a medication to help our, our brain health? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think stigma is really improving and I know there are organizations that don't like to even use the word stigma, mm -hmm. but you know, for lack of a better term, that's what I use. And you know, I think it's really something that's just been so systemic and, you know, I really do see it improving slowly, but um, I think it's, I think it's a conversation that has to go through, you know, organizations as well as individuals. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about this this piece you did, and it's the tackling stress in agriculture through partnerships. And you talk about building resilient agricultural communities. And you there were the three funded partner projects, which I thought this was I I when we talked previously, I thought this was really really great, a really unique and great approach to how you all are tackling this problem. And so, just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about how um, we, as an organization at UMash, got involved in this space, and then a little bit about the partner projects as well. Sure. Um, so we, you know, we focus on occupational health. So mm -hmm. in general, that looks like you know, doing research on air quality in swine housing and, you know, translating that into recommendations and things like that. So mental health was a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, but basically we had a panel at a, it was a Minnesota farm show. It's called Minnesota Farm Fest. Mm -hmm. And basically what kept coming up was that 
you know, a lot of farmers had friends who had, you know, either committed suicide or they knew they were struggling. Um, and so that was kind of the first time our organization, you know, had this come up as an issue. So this is probably 2017. Okay. And then over the next year and a half, there was a lot of PR came out sort of shedding a little more light on the issue. So there was one feature Dr. Rossman in Iowa um, that talked about, I think it, the title was something along the lines of farmers are killing themselves in record numbers. And, you know, why is that? Um, and so that was a really big one and just several things sort of waterfall from there. And we, as an organization decided that, um, you know, we focus on health and a part of health is mental health. And we would find a tie to occupation if we needed to. So um, we hosted a forum in 2018, which was called the Building Resilient Agricultural Communities. And what we did was we brought in all kinds of stakeholders, you know, diverse stakeholders is sort of an abused phrase, but we, you know, we had healthcare there. We had, we had actual farmers there. We had farm workers there. We had, you know, policymakers, people working in counseling. Um, and we really framed the day around talking about what's been causing some of the levels of stress and mental health challenges in rural and agricultural communities specifically. So a lot of that revolved around, it's sort of a public health term. It's the, it depends on where you look, about four or five A's. So like affordability, accessibility, acceptability, and I'm missing one, but. I'm, um, I'm familiar. I can't, or can't yeah, recall it either, but. I know. I always miss one and it's never <laughs> the same one, which is kind of funny, but, um, you know, talking about, you know, where those barriers and gaps are. Um, and so then from that forum, we were able to fund three of what we call our partner projects. And a lot of those partnerships actually formed at the forum so that, you know, part of the importance in having diverse people there was that, um, you know, folks were able to meet people outside of their normal, you know, kind of cohort. It, the agricultural community, as I'm sure you know, is, you know, it's a small world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something we hear a lot is you see all the same people at the same, you know, different events. Right. right. And um, so we try to break that up a little bit to get some of this innovation going. Um, so following the forum, we got these applications, which we were able to fund and, um, they are all sort of unique and address, you know, different aspects of the issue in their own small and mighty kind of way. So, uh, the first one is called cultivating resiliency for women in agriculture. Mm -hmm. And this one was a partnership of university of Minnesota extension and American agrowomen. And so they were really focused on women in agriculture because women have, you know, they're wearing a lot of hats. So right. yeah. a lot of times they are primary operators. A lot of times they're, you know, they're working, they're raising kids, they're volunteering, you know, any number of all of, or a few of those things. And um, because of that, they have, you know, different, you know, perceived levels of stress and psychological needs. Um, and so what they wanted to do is they wanted to better understand if, if women were indeed stressed and they found that they were. Um, and they also wanted to build a community 
and provide support in a way that was accessible. So what they did is they did, um, they called them virtual telehealth sessions. So basically webinars and they started out wanting to do, I think six and we're inching on 20 now. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And they've had, um, you know, it's been a really great two way communication. So they've really listened to what the community has wanted. So, um, and these are all available on demand. Right. So okay. online if they want to, but yeah, when we, when we release this, I'll make sure and have all those links in the show notes so people can go take a look at them. Yeah. And there are some new ones coming out yet, but they, you know, some of them are, you know, who am I, if I'm not a farmer anymore, or, you know, during the holidays, you know, how to deal with holiday stress and anxiety, which is totally real. Um, and, you know, like dealing with grief, you know, all kinds of, you know, experiences that women in agriculture are having. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's been a bulk of that project. They're also in the process of analyzing and publishing the data they did from their survey. Um, but basically the early, uh, information that they've shared is that, um, 90% of the women surveyed indicated that agriculture was a, a significant stressor in their life. So, wow. Yeah. Oh which is, you know, it's a, not to get too into it, but it's a catch 22, you know, it's for a lot of these people, it's, it's their lifestyle and it gives them a sense of purpose. Right. It's yeah. also, but it's uh, also their greatest stressor too. But yeah. it's a, it's yeah. Like you say, it's a catch 22 because, what causes more stress being involved or not being involved. And I think about that. This is a battle I fight with myself often. Um, and especially right now, um, you know, I, we talked before we started recording about how terrible the weather's been. And this, this winter makes last winter look like child's play. I mean, as far as there's, it's just been mud all the time. It's rained and it's just been terrible, nasty weather. And it makes, I, I find myself questioning what, why I'm even bothering with this right now. Um, but I know if I didn't bother with this, then the stress would come from that point. So I don't think anybody really quite understands that, um, unless you experience it and you growing up on a farm have total firsthand knowledge of that, that it's, um, it's, it's, it's a push and pull battle of, of your, of your health, of your, of your, of your stress. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle and uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'll get a little bit more into this later, but it's, it's a multi-generational thing too. And mm -hmm. I, I really see this, I see this with my own family right now because, you know, my, so my grandparents are still on the farm doing very minimum, you know, mm -hmm. they're well past retirement. Um, but they're still involved. And then my dad's, I would call the primary operator. He farms full time. And then, um, my brother works full time, but is farming also full time and just all of those dynamics and each generation experiences different stress as a result. So, you know, we have, you know, you have the farm transitions and you have the balancing of multiple jobs or, you know, seeing kids grow up there's just so much going on and, and then, and, and that's just kind of the, the personnel stuff, you know, and then you throw in input prices and right. Yeah. That... And the weather, I mean, the weather has been just chaos, I think mm -hmm. for everybody for a few years and 
um, you know, it, it really, it adds up. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, um, you know, it's a funny thing that we're having this conversation now because those are, those are all stresses that I'm dealing with myself on our, our own operation. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a very real thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the next project was really focused on the, a generation of, you know, kids or young adults on the farm. Um, and this one was, you know, particularly exciting because the motivation was that the next generation of the agricultural workforce is, you know, really in a unique situation because they're struggling with their own personal stress, but they're also seeing the stress of their family members, mm -hmm. which, you know, that might be parents, grandparents, you know, older siblings, who knows. Um, so this one was stress and mental health conversations with uh, gear up for ag health and safety. So this is hosted by the Ag Health and Safety Alliance. They are a um, national and international nonprofit organization that um, does programming throughout the U.S. heavily, but also they've been in Canada, Australia, et cetera. And Carolyn Sheridan is the founder and the one that does these trainings. And she has a really, I think, unique perspective for this project because she is a she is a nurse and she's a farmer and you know she raised a family and they're all still on the farm so you know just a lot of credibility having that perspective but so what we did in this one was create a it's called a motion graphic but it's basically just an interactive engaging video um, and so this was incorporated into her program that she takes into either high schools or ag colleges. Um, and so normally they're talking about, you know, the risks and the hazards on the farm and how you mitigate them. So okay. if you're talking about, you know, respiratory risks, like, you know, dust and grain bin situations, right? They, you know, then they talk about, um, the right PPE, personal protective equipment, and, you know, how to put it on, how to fit it, you know, caring for it, things like that. And so, you know, again, to return to this holistic theme, they incorporated this mental health conversation, which, you know, is also a part of health. So they do a pre and a post survey. So they, they are asked about if they're stressed, if they're seeing stress in other people, um, what some of those symptoms might look like. And then they, you know, they see this video and they also do a post survey. So um, some of that preliminary data, so that's been going on for about a year and a half, I would say, and has reached about 3000 students. Um, but it's indicated that, you know, a, a bulk of those students are seeing symptoms of stress or mental health issues in either themselves or their family members. So, you know, once again, similar to the other project, the data is showing that this not only seems like an issue, it really truly is. But it's it's been, I think, a great one because, you know, when we look at public health campaigns that have been successful, you know, not all of them, but a few specific ones, they've, they've gone through youth. So they're still formative at this age. So when you think about um, like stop, drop and roll, seat belts, smoking, a lot of those campaigns went through educating kids and either having them take that message home or just preventing 
the behavior in the first place. So, you know, this kind of does that, which is really exciting. And, you know, these kids and young adults also just have, you know, unique needs and this, this accounts for that, which I think is great because, you know, for me as a, you know, grown up farm kid, I remember, it, well, it's still to this day when the weather is bad, you know, I, I just get such anxiety about it. I remember like when it would rain and rain and rain, when we would need to be planting mm -hmm. or when, you know, even in the fall when the cattle were a mess, like I remember seeing how stressed my family got about right. that, mm -hmm. but, you know, kids pick up on that. Oh my gosh. They're so, they're so, um, in tune to that. And maybe, I mean, not maybe I know for sure. I mean, I'm a father of four boys and I know they pick, they pick up on that. Like a horse picks up on the stress of a rider. That's the way I feel like they, you may not know you're telling them that, but you know, everything that is going on around you, your body language, the way you hold yourself, you know, they feel not, you may not be saying those in so many words to them, but they can see it and feel it and just, they just cut that tension. And I think what, to me, what sticks about the two things you've talked about so far, um, the women and the children is you are dealing with things that are not directly necessarily the farmer. And you are kind of looking at this as, as I mean, you, the farmer absolutely, 100% is important, but he's not the only one. You know, there, there are, there are children, there are wives, there are, I mean, in some cases, their husbands, um, that are just as effective. Maybe they aren't the ones that is going through these things firsthand, but they, for sure, it, it's kind of getting rebounded to them. Um, and they feel the stress just as much, or maybe more, possibly more. I don't know. And I think that's a, I think that's a good thing that you guys are doing and something I'm not sure I have discovered yet that anybody is doing that you're taking this, like we talked about a holistic approach in, in not just the, the, the person, just not just the primary person. It's also the, the people around them. Yeah. And something that, um, came from Josie Rodolfi, she, Dr. Josie Rodolfi, she's now at the University of Illinois, but was previously at the National Farm Medicine Center. And she has made this her focus area for research. But one of her main findings was that farmers don't really want to get their mental health information, resources, what have you, from social media or even websites it's they want to hear and get that from predominantly people that they're close with or that are in their sort of immediate community so friends and family heavily mm -hmm. um so you know in these partner projects that are working with either youth or young adults and women it's you know, they're, you know, you're equipping those community members or those touch points is what I often call them. The, the spheres of influence is like the public health term. Um, if with either like increased capacity or the language or the skills to, you know, either have these conversations or, you know, make an intervention if need be, because it's, it's harder. I, 
you know, this is just more, this is my opinion and it's not affiliated with any, my organization or anything, sure. but I, is probably more effective than trying to do it through, you know, healthcare model mm -hmm. through the community. I, I totally agree because again, you're dealing with people who may not be directly affected, but still are effective because if it's a, and I use this actually on a previous episode, this example, and I talk about this sale barn that we have here in town um, or in the town I'm close to. And not very many people of the community actually do business at that sale barn. It's more of a regional thing. People bring cattle in to buy and sell, what have you. But, you know, there's a truck stop there. There's hotels. There's restaurants. All of those people are affected and would would feel the loss of that sale barn if it were to happen. And that is, I think that's the thing that that is a big part of why this is such a big problem is because it's it affects these rural communities. And by getting the people who are in these rural communities, whether they are, are involved in agriculture or not involved, is, is so important because all of their livelihood depends on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's something that I, I noticed and I struggled with when I was working as an agronomist was I was trained to, you know, recognize disease and nutrition deficiencies in crops and mm -hmm. deal with that. And, but at the same time I was, especially when I was working closely with dairy farmers who were, you know, dairy, the dairy, and there's no secret that dairy industry has struggled. Right. And you know, I could, see the struggle on these farms you know i just didn't feel equipped to to deal with that and i was and i it's hard to know like what role you play that's something that i know our organization and many others talk about a lot is we do feel it's important to involve all of these you know the spheres of influence for the farmer but you know, thinking about what kind of burden we put on these people, particularly with like veterinarians mm -hmm. is the one I kind of worry about because they already have a very stressful job and kind of high rates of, you know, like suicide. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've talked about it on this show. We I had Cody Krillman on and that's yeah. something he brought up is the increased rate of vet suicides. And that's something I wasn't even aware of. And yeah. And, and it is worse in like small animal mm -hmm. veterinarians than, oh, you know, okay. a lot of the large animal vets that you're seeing on farms, but it's still higher than many occupations. Regardless, they have, they have a super stressful job as it is. I mean, I'll, uh, anybody that'll tell you, I'll tell them the story of me. Uh, I was going to go to vet school. That was, that was my job. That was what I was going to do until I had to do, until I, the vet came out and had to do a cesarean on a cow in eight inches of snow and blowing wind. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even, you know, that's the thing about it. It wasn't even, I mean, he was getting paid for the operation, but you know, he very well could have had to go down the road and do it again in a couple hours. You know what I mean? So that's an incredibly, and I don't think people really totally understand how stressful that occupation is. So I didn't mean to get off in the weeds on that, but but no, I mean, it, it, yeah, I think it just kind of emphasizes that point, though, is, you know, I think where some of the programs and research will need to go is, you know, 
understanding how to walk that line of not putting a ton of burden and responsibility on some of these, you know, these influencers and touch points and community members. But they're, you know, I, I do think they have a role to play in, in knowing what that is and knowing what, how to equip them in a way that is productive and is a good intervention is, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if anybody has that answer yet. Um, but it's something that I think about a lot, especially with veterinarians is, you know, they already know, they know when farmers right. are not doing well, they're, you know, super competent, smart human beings. And of course they wouldn't be vets otherwise. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's interesting because, you know, you pick up on it in, in sort of inter, interesting ways, kind of like the way kids do with, you know, stressed parents is, you know, seeing farms get more run down or, you know, they're, you know, not going to the same events, you know, what have you. But you know, they pick up on that, especially sure. over years of working with people. Right. So I have a, this is a question that kind of came to me and, um, you know, it, you can answer it to the best of your ability. And I understand it's not something you may not feel qualified to answer. I'm not, I don't know if anybody is qualified to answer it, but something came to me because you started talking about veterinarians. And then as it got me to thinking about school curriculums and, you know, then I got to thinking about animal nutritionists, um, extension agents, all these people in agronomists like you are, do you see, or would you see it as being beneficial if some of this this mental health, some of this kind of recognizing signs and symptoms is included into these school curriculums in very near future years. Would you see that that being beneficial? I really, I do see it being beneficial. And even as someone who, you know, recently went through grad school, it's, I just think it's something that students are advocating for already because you know, they are working and doing externships and internships and trying to pay for school and trying to find a full-time job. And that's, that's stressful. So sure, I think, you know, for, for students themselves, it's beneficial, but I, I do think it is just because so much of this isn't necessarily intuitive and to just have it go through you know, the education system, I think, I think will be helpful. And that's not something I really thought of until just, you know, you just got to be privy to my stream of consciousness there a little bit, because that's something that just kind of hit me as we were speaking, because um, you mentioned earlier how I talked about the stop, drop and roll and all these things that, you know, say no to drugs, the, um, all these things that we, are part of our common um, dialogue now. And I feel like that's obviously helpful and we use it in everyday life, especially, I mean, the stop, drop and roll thing, we still know that's the way to, the way to put out a fire on yourself. So to include some of those things in, not in, in primary education, but also secondary education um, would be super helpful, I feel like. And um, just trying to normalize this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think what would be honestly really beneficial about it is just that, um, you know, it would, it would kind of normalize it so that when kids, especially, you know, feel stress or whatever that they, you know, one know that other people feel that way. Right. And so like 
have the language for it because I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with is we don't know, you know, we don't know what the right word to use is or how to talk about it. And, you know, I think, I think that would help, um, to, you know, know what words to use and, right. you, you know, right. No, I, I, I totally agree. So Megan, we're running just a little bit short on time. So, um, I want to give you the opportunity to, let me um, let folks know where they can find UMASH online and then possibly um, anything I might have missed. Yeah, so we are online. So we are umash.umn.edu. So U-M-A-S-H dot U-M-N as in Minnesota dot E-D-U. We are, we have an email, which is also umash at umn.edu. We take phone calls. So 612-625-8836. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. So connect with us any way that you prefer. Um, we're pretty regular on all of those. And um, I think one last thing that I would add is I, I didn't get to that, our last partner project. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Go ahead. So we we kind of, we had a lot to cover. But yeah. um, so the very last one is is a great one as well it's using stories and education to build resilient agricultural communities so this was with minnesota nami the national alliance on mental illness uh-huh. and so what they did is they um again wanted to do a really community-based approach so they are addressing the real need for public education to normalize poor stress and mental health um this is the organization actually that doesn't like the word stigma. Okay. Um, so they, their, their verbiage is normalized stress and poor mental health. But what they did is they, um, they found basically agricultural partners in communities to host QPR, which is question, persuade, refer. Mm -hmm. It's a suicide prevention training. Um, and it's just a really great model because someone from the community leads it. So, um, the people that go through this training hear it from, you know, one of, one of their own, which I think is the way you have to do it. Um, and they partnered with agribusiness organizations and I went through QPR myself just because I thought it was important. And it's, it's really not intuitive stuff when you're working with, um, you know, an individual that might be, um, you know, contemplating suicide. So, I, I, I wanted to give them credit too, because they're, they're still doing trainings and, you know, I think we've, we've seen a lot of success and had great feedback on that project as well. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of previous guests, Jeff Ditzenberger, um, Susan Springer, Judd, they are, they are very involved with QPR training and it's a wonderful program. I, I like I, what I talk to both of them what I think the greatest point about it is it's all it's all community member led and you know they're doing it at these you know they Susan was talking about they were doing it at rodeos and they were doing it at basketball games um that sort of things and you know putting it out there in a non-threatening manner is is super important and super helpful because um you know it's kind of because it uses the word suicide that's scary I mean I'll, I'll come out and say it. It's scary because it's it's a it's a real in your face term, but um, 
you know, when you put it out there and you're normalizing it in these everyday community events, it makes it, it makes it that much easier to talk about. I feel like. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and in these, you know, I, I'm from a real small community, you know, you get it too. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the listeners understand, but when you see, you know, your friends, your neighbors, your dentist, like whoever it is, like going through these trainings, showing up for an event like this, it, you know, I think that kind of stuff really does help. Yeah. And it kind of makes you feel, and if you see some of these people, you know, that's kind of the small town dynamic too. Um, you see some of these people doing it, you kind of feel like, well, maybe I should start doing that and, you know, use that, that small town competition to your advantage a little bit. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I feel like so. <laughs> oh, well, very good. Well, Megan, I, I really appreciate your time here tonight. Um, we had a lot to cover and I, I hope we did it justice. Um, I feel like, I feel like we had a lot, you guys are doing so much up there at UMASH and that's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see your progress and, uh, see where it goes and hopefully, you know, have you on and again, and kind of see where it goes in that, that amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a, a thank you to you as well for, you know, having these conversations and sharing the work everybody's doing. I, it's really, it's, it's so cliche, but you know, no one organization can do it. And I think the way that other organizations and people can learn, you know, from these other sort of laboratories of experiments that either go well or don't go well is, and then it's the way that you make an impact. And so it's just, we're talking, we're talking about people's lives here. You know, I mean, that's, that's our end result. And, you know, I, we're getting better, but we're nowhere near this being totally, um, done away with. And I just hope my little part in this makes a difference in some people's lives. Um, that's, that's the goal anyway. Yeah. The conversations are such an important place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again. And, uh, I hope to talk to you in the very near future. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Megan. Next week on the show, we have Will Evans. Will is the host of the Rock and Roll Farming Podcast. Will is actually my second overseas guest. Our first overseas were the the Paul and Peter Hines from Ireland. Will is actually from Wales. Uh, really, really cool to get to talk to someone overseas, you know, and talk a little bit about the ag environment over there in his part of the world. A really cool conversation. Will's been a really good friend to me, reaching out on Twitter, helping me out, um, just uh, just being a, uh, an ear to listen to. So uh, really great to get a conversation with Will. So uh, until next week, this has been Jason Meadows and the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.